<clears throat> Let's pray. Father, there is, there is no one good like you. Any measure that we have of goodness is only as it compares to how good you are. Father, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your grace. And we're grateful for your word. We ask, Lord, that as the word is brought to bear on our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, continuing our series in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 11, there it is. Uh, up until now, uh, all of Jesus's ministry has been, well, leading up to this moment. The, the importance of this passage and the events that are recorded in uh, parallel passages in uh, Matthew and Luke cannot be overstated. This is extremely significant. This actually gives us um, our, our first glimpse into Jesus's purpose when he comes into Jerusalem. Jesus is has up until this point spent all of his time preaching and healing and uh, and in a sense building an, a name and a reputation for himself. Uh, and now this, this reputation uh, has has preceded him everywhere he's gone and people have over the course of the amount of time, the, the three years that he's been doing ministry, he's been healing people, uh, fervor for Jesus has increased. Uh, people are either following him and ready to die for him, or they're sneakily following behind looking for an opportunity to kill him. And there's really, from what we can tell, there's really nowhere in the middle at this point. Uh, and Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem, and he spent a lot of time uh, talking to his disciples, the, t the, the 12 inner circle disciples, about what's going to happen when he comes into Jerusalem. So, so they understand that when he's coming into Jerusalem, he's told them in uh, Mark chapter 10 and in a couple other places that he is going to, to die, that he's going to be handed over to the Romans and they're going to crucify him, and that in three days he's going to rise again. Now, how much of that the disciples really understood or believed, we, we're not sure. We don't know. Uh, but the, the people around Jesus, uh, the, who were not in the inner circle, they didn't know that this was what Jesus was planning to do. They didn't know that Jesus was heading to his death. This was something that he, uh, whenever he predicted his death and resurrection, it was always pulling the, the 12 <laughs> disciples aside. Uh, there was never, he never got up in front of crowds of thousands of people and said, I'm going to die. That, was, that wasn't part of his uh, preaching and his ministry. And so now uh, things have been building up for three years and people are pretty sure that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, and others are pretty sure they really hope that he's not the Messiah. Uh, but now he's coming up to Jerusalem and it's Passover time. 
uh, which is an extremely important time uh, for the Jewish people, which uh, we'll get to in, in Mark chapter 14. But now they're, they're heading into Jerusalem, and, they, and the way they see it is now the Messiah is coming in at Passover time, and this is, gonna, this is when the Messiah is going to take control. This is when the Messiah is going to do his thing and become kind of the, the ruler of the Jews and, and kick the Romans out. And so that's, that's kind of the mentality of the people as we come to this passage. Uh, they've been following Jesus. They've been watching Jesus. They've been listening to his teachings. Um, they're very confused about his teachings because he hasn't said a lot of things that you would expect a political leader to, to say. He hasn't made a big deal out of uh, destroying the Romans or, or anything. In fact, what he's done more, most of his attacks have been not against the government. They've been against actually the religious establishment. And so to the people that was probably somewhat confusing, but you know, he's the Messiah and he gets to decide who he's going to overthrow first. And so that's uh, kind of the mentality coming into this. And so Mark chapter 11, uh, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through to verse 11 and uh, then we'll talk about it. So please stand in reverence to the word of God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of the, those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Why are you untying the colt? And they said, and they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and those who were sent before and those who followed were shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the coming kingdom of our father david hosanna in the highest and he entered jerusalem and went into the temple and when he had looked around at everything it was already getting late he went out to bethany with the twelve amen please be seated So Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem. This is kind of a big deal. Uh, and so Jesus knows what needs to happen. And, and, and fulfillment to uh, the Old Testament passage of Zechariah 9.9, which I'll read just really briefly. Uh, you can turn there if you want, but we'll be there really a uh, short amount of time. Zechariah 9.9, uh, which says, um, oh my goodness, now I can't find it. Oh, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. So Jesus uh, knows the Old Testament better than anybody. He wrote it. Uh, well, he inspired others to write it. And he knows how uh, the Old Testament is to be fulfilled through him. And so he gets to Bethpage and Bethany and he says to two of his disciples, go and uh, grab the, the colt of a donkey and, and bring it over because I'm about to ride it and enter into Jerusalem, bringing salvation. That's what the passage says. That is what he is going to do. Uh, 
And by this act of going into Jerusalem, riding on a colt, Jesus is making a statement, a very public statement. It, you know, it's called the triumphal entry. Uh, that's probably a good, a good title for it. It could also be called the humble entry because he's riding on a donkey. It's hard to look triumphant when you're riding on a donkey. I, I, just saying. Uh, <laughs> but it's by this act that Jesus is proclaiming his purpose. He is actually proclaiming the gospel to the world. He is declaring himself the king. He is setting himself up as the king because his, these people around him are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. That is not uh, ambiguous language. That is very clearly, these people are saying, okay, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the heir of David. And there's a parallel passage where some of the Pharisees say to, Jerusalem, or say to Jesus, tell him to stop. And he said, no, I, I tell you the truth. If, if they were not crying out, the rocks would cry out. Because this is the truth. Because this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to be said. And so Jesus is very clearly uh, declaring his authority. He's declaring his purpose. He's declaring, I am the king and I am entering into my city. I am the heir of David. I am coming to bring salvation to these people. Why, why a donkey? I mean, we've already talked about the, the Old Testament fulfillment, but what is the significance of riding on a donkey? Well, historically speaking, when Israelite kings or rulers rode anywhere, they would ride one of two things. They would ride either a donkey or they would ride a horse. And when they rode a donkey, it was symbolic of a peaceful entry. That they were not coming uh, for any other reason other than to bring peace and to bring the benefits of their reign to the city. The ruler would ride his donkey because he was not expecting to need his horse. See, horses were uh, the animals that you rode into war. So when, when a king would ride into a city on a horse, that was uh, symbolic of, I am, this is my city and you need to get under my feet. When a king would ride in on a donkey, he was coming to bring blessing. He was coming with joy. It was coming with great expectation of, of happiness and peace. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 10, we can see uh, an example of this. Judges chapter 10. Uh, verses 3 and 4 say, uh, After Tola arose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities called havoth Jer to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jer died and was buried in Kaman. So there's nothing to write about Jair's time as a judge in Israel because he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. He didn't have 30 sons who rode on 30 horses because if he had 30 sons who rode on 30 horses, then you can expect that, that this guy, Jair, had conquered all of Israel and was seeking to establish his rule and his authority. But Jair had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys and they ruled 30 cities. And in those 30 cities, there was peace. There was calm and there was blessing. 
You can see it again in, in Judges chapter 12. Judges chapter 12, uh, in verse uh, 14. It says, uh, or actually, sorry, verse 13. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, I should have practiced that, the Pirathonite judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. And he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, oh my goodness, died and was buried at Pirathon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. So again, we have this guy who has 40 sons and 30 grandsons, and they're all riding donkeys. They're not riding horses. They're not conquering Israel. They're not destroying their enemies. They, they didn't have to ride into war. They were riding on their donkeys. Nobody rides into war on a donkey. As funny as that would be, they don't do that. Kings or rulers who, who would ride in on horses were riding in as conquerors. They were riding in with authority. They were coming to destroy. They were coming to, uh, I don't want to use the word oppress. Uh, yeah, sure, I'll use the word oppress. They were coming in to oppress the people and to suppress them. If a king entered your city on his horse, that was really bad news. If you saw the king coming with his entourage, he was riding on a donkey, you could expect that there was going to be a good time. If you saw the king coming on a horse, he was coming a lot faster, and he's coming with a much more sinister purpose. He's coming to destroy you. He's coming to bring you under subjection. And Israelite kings were actually not supposed to ride into their cities on horseback. They were not supposed to ride as conquerors. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, or not 10, Deuteron Deuteronomy 17, uh, God gave laws for Israel's kings. So long before they ever had a king, God had essentially set up you can get a king when you go when you go into your land, but when you get a king, this is what he is supposed to be. So Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14, says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your own brothers... You shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself. He must not cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord your God has said to you, you shall never return that way again. You know, so the kings were not supposed to be warlike kings. They were not supposed to seek after conflict. They were supposed to... They were not supposed to build their cavalry. They were not supposed to go and conquer other lands. They were supposed to stay in their land, the promised land that God had given them. And they were supposed to live at peace because God is a God of peace. And God did not tell them to uh, have conflict in among themselves and to destroy one another. Jesus is coming into his city. He's coming into the capital city of Israel. He is coming as a king, but he is not coming as a conquering king. He is coming in on a donkey. 
as a declaration that he is coming to bring peace and blessing to these people. The followers understood uh, what was happening, that, that Jesus was entering Jerusalem as a king. Uh, they probably were a little bit disappointed that he wasn't riding in on a horse because the, the expectation was that Jesus was going to be the conqueror. But they probably understood the significance that Jesus is riding on a donkey and, oh, he's coming to bring peace. And so they were willing to praise the Lord because Jesus was coming to bring peace to them. They probably believed that Jesus was going to bring peace through war, not through the way it actually happened, but they were embracing it all the same. They understood that Jesus was the king, that he was coming in. They jumped on the hype train. They laid their cloaks on the ground uh, and their palm branches so that the king's mount would not have to touch the ground because they had such reverence for the king. And I mean, it's kind of funny that these people did this. They, they were willing to lay their cloaks on the ground out of reverence for the Lord, out of reverence for the king. And within a couple days, these people would be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. How fickle this is. When Jesus doesn't do what they want him to do, they're not willing to trust in the king. They want things done their way and on their time. And if this king is not going to obey them and do what he, what they think he should do, they abandon him and they betray him. They declare Jesus to be the Messiah, recognizing that he is the heir of David. They quote one of the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 118, 26. Whenever the Israelites would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, they would sing the Psalms of Ascent. They are ascending up into Jerusalem, praising God and singing. And now Jesus is with them, ascending up to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And the songs that are in their heads come to mind. And one of them is Psalm 118, verse, they quote specifically verse 26. Psalm 118, verse 25 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords and the horns to the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a prophecy about the Messiah, that someone is going to come in the name of the Lord, bringing salvation for his people. They recognize that Jesus is entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. He's bringing peace to the people of Israel. And so they stand up, they lay their coats on the ground, and they sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. He enters into Jerusalem, and he goes into the temple. And this is it, right? 
This is it. The king is coming. He's in the temple of God. The Messiah is here. And it says in verse 11, when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he rides into Jerusalem triumphantly with crowds shouting his praises, riding on a donkey, a borrowed donkey. Not a burrow. Well, I guess it is a borrowed donkey, but it's a borrowed donkey. And he comes up to the temple and he goes inside. And he looks around and he goes back out of the city and goes and stays in Bethany. Talk about subverting people's expectations. He's willing to make this statement for the purposes of fulfilling the Old Testament. He's willing to make this statement because it's important. It's important for every one of us to understand that the reason Jesus entered into Jerusalem was to bring peace. It was to bring blessing. But it was not in the way that everybody thought he should. It wasn't in the way that everybody thought it was going to, to go. It was the way that he had ordained from eternity past. Jesus came to bring peace, not revolution. His entrance, his entrance into Jerusalem was a kingly entrance, but it was misinterpreted. He was not coming to bring momentary fleeting peace. He came to bring an eternal peace. And Colossians uh, 1 verse 20 tells us how he is going to bring peace, how he accomplished peace. Colossians 1.20 says, uh, actually I'll start in verse 8, verse uh, 19. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He did not make peace by calling down fire from heaven to consume the Pharisees or to consume Pontius Pilate and his legions. He did not come to bring peace by setting up a throne in the temple like everybody thought he would. He came to make peace by the blood of his cross. The next time that Jesus comes, he will not be riding on a donkey. There are two instances in scripture where we see Jesus riding on something. The first one is in this passage in Mark 11 and in parallel passages in the other gospels. The only other time Jesus rides in on anything is found in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus came the first time to bring peace. The next time that Jesus comes will not be a peaceful entrance. The next time that Jesus comes, he will be riding in on a horse. It is by the grace of God only that the first time Jesus came, he rode in on a donkey. From the beginning of time, human beings have deserved nothing but the rider on the white horse. From the time of Adam and Eve committing cosmic treason against God by disobeying him, to this morning, in the sins that you committed in the privacy of your own heart, we have all deserved nothing but the rider on the white horse. Sin leads to death and judgment. Your sin leads to death and judgment. But the first time that Jesus came, he did not bring what you deserve. He came in humble and riding on a donkey, bringing peace by the blood of his cross. Do you understand the grace of God? That he was willing to do that. That he did not destroy the earth in his fury. But that he has been patiently waiting and saving people from destruction and from death. He sent his son, his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live as a man and to die a criminal's death. The God of the universe who has done nothing wrong ever in all of eternity past, in all of eternity future, died a criminal's death on a cross. And he did that so that we could have peace. Do you understand the significance of that? Have you embraced that reality? I tell you one thing, if you have not embraced that reality, the peaceful entrance of Christ into Jerusalem will have nothing for you. One way or another, you will bend the knee to Christ. Will you bend the knee to the king humble and riding in on a donkey? Or will you bow the knee to the rider on the white horse who treads the winepress of the fury of God's wrath. It's serious stuff. I know. But the Bible is a serious book. This is not kid stuff. This is stuff that we have to think about. We live in a culture where we are always in control. We are always doing whatever we want. 
We live in a culture that values personal autonomy above all other things. And it's your temptation right now to push back on me and say, how dare you say this to me? It's not me. It's God. It's his word. Will you be ready when the rider comes on a white horse? Will you be among the nations or will, will you be in the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure? Let's pray. Our Father, we want to recognize your amazing grace. You have not repaid humanity according to what we deserve. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Everything in here that has breath is yours. Everything on this earth is yours. And when human beings sin against you, they commit cosmic treason and defile your earth and defile your creation. And we stand in opposition to you. Do not let us take that lightly. Do a work in our hearts. Change us, we pray, O Lord. Lead us in the path of righteousness. Lead us to your Son. Father, give us grace in our failings. Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and that we would all be in the armies of heaven dressed in white linen, following you, the rider on the white horse. Father, do not look down on us in wrath and anger. Look down on us with grace and forgiveness. We acknowledge our sin to you. We acknowledge our failure. Father, we need you. It is impossible for us to save ourselves. But you have made peace by the blood of your cross. And you have said in your word that we will confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that you have raised him from the dead that we will be saved. So I ask, Lord, that you would accomplish that work in us, that you would lead us to salvation. I ask it in the name of the King who rode in peacefully on a donkey, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.